podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. We are, of course, the flagship show of the 10-12 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for sports and not sports. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this holiday, Labor Day, Monday. I am coming to you from my childhood bedroom closet. It is going to be a hot night uh, in here. Obviously, there's no uh, air circulation, so I'm going to get through all of this as quickly as possible so I am not a sweaty mess. It's this Labor Day holiday. When you have kids, holidays tend to be geared around the children. Um, I like to say that my mother is basically Werner Herzog in The Mandalorian and just has the line of, I want to see the baby. Uh, Of course, (laughs) we had a fantastic Labor Day of football. There are still games going on right now, but I couldn't care less about LSU, Florida State, and whatever that just sacrifice to the football gods that we're going to have on Monday that is Clemson, Georgia Tech. I'm sorry, Jeff Scott. Uh, So we've got a few games to talk about tonight. A few games to talk about tonight. Joining me as he always does, my good friend, and of course, the host of the Rock Chalk podcast, part of the 1012 Network, Andy Mitz. It's great to be back. Always good to have you. Uh, JSJ is not here. She is celebrating Christmas in September in Ohio. Three things you don't really cram into one sentence together. But in her stead, very excited to have a guest I have been wanting to get on the show for some time. This was a great opportunity, and I am thrilled that it worked out. He is the expert himself, Sam Kahn of The Athletic. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. I appreciate it, man. I really do. Uh, look, we've got a lot of games to get to. Some good, some bad. Uh, nice weekend for the Big 12. I hate that we have to kick things off this way, but it is the biggest story of the weekend in college sports. So we're going to start here. Part of this is because it's the topic everybody wants to talk about. And also, I kind of want to just get it out of the way so we can talk about actual football that was played this weekend because we finally had it. And I don't want to talk about the other mechanisms and things that are going on in the sport like we've been doing for the last two months. But playoff expansion is coming. It is official. We are going to have playoff expansion. It is the proposal that was pitched last year. What Bob Bowlesby was a part of, we're finally going to have it. We know, I mean, quite a lot about it. 12 teams, first four teams get a bye. Uh, The top six ranked conference champions, top six, doesn't matter what conference they're from, all get an automatic qualifier in, and then six at-large teams. Uh, Teams five, six, seven, and eight will host the first round games at their home or a stadium of their choosing, which I believe is really just set up because you have teams like Pittsburgh who play in an NFL stadium. Uh, and then the the next, the rest of the games will be played at both sides to be predetermined. Uh, this is going to come about no later than 2026, uh, but could start as early as 2024. Sam, you cover, obviously, the state of Texas and, and college football over the place for the athletics, so I want to get you in here first. I want your opinion as someone who covers the state of Texas, which has a lot of current and, of course, another future Big 12 team coming in. For the Big 12 conference itself, where do you see the pluses to this? And are there negatives for the Big 12 now that this is officially going to be happening? Yeah, no, I see mostly positives because it comes down to one word, access. The Big 12 will now have access to the playoff. And that, that was understood when they first proposed this because of the format, six highest ranked champions. So in most years, your 
Big 12 champion is going to be one of the six highest ranked conference champions. So that gives you a pass in the playoff. And if you look at a year like last year where you didn't make the four team, you would have had Baylor and Oklahoma State in there. Oklahoma would have made it. So it, it gives you a chance to, to actually have teams get in this mix as opposed to what it has been in the past, which has been Oklahoma or nothing. And so that access is important to the sport. It's important to the Big 12, and it's important to every league not named the SEC and the Big Ten. So, so I, I'm, I'm thrilled that it finally happened. I'm disappointed that it took as long as it did because we essentially have the exact same proposal that we did in June 2021. But, uh, but I'm glad that we got it because I think for the greater good of the sport, it was necessary to keep uh, as many conferences as possible in the mix for, for a title run. Well, and it's also one of those things, like, it makes sense for everybody involved, right? Like, it makes sense for ACC and the Big Ten for them to have the opportunity to get more teams in the playoff. It makes sense for the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big 12, all who have been shut out of the playoff multiple times. Um, like, And then, of course, it gives the G5 schools an opportunity to play their way in because it's the top six conference champions. And so, you know, and, and I can guarantee there's going to be at least a few years where a conference like the Pac-12 is not going to have their best champion who makes it, or like if there's a year that the ACC is down, like, uh, you know, and, and Clemson isn't very good. And you like, you could see opportunities where the ACC may not have, you know, a better conference champion than all of the G5. So like, there's definitely a good opportunity for everybody now to have a chance to make it to the playoff. It, it brings a, or it brings us in a step in the direction towards like what the NCAA basketball tournament is, where, you know, all anybody wants for the NCAA basketball tournament is a chance to play for a championship. Even though we know that, like, the champion is probably coming from a group of, you know, eight to ten schools that we can identify, you know, well before the tournament actually starts, usually. Um, here in football, there's probably going to be a group of three or four schools that everybody is like, hey, those are the teams that are most likely going to be able to make it to the championship. But part of what makes college basketball tournaments so great is the potential for chaos. And you can't have any chaos if there's only four schools that are invited to a playoff. If you have 12, now there's more chance for a playoff. There's more chance for a team to build some momentum from some of those earlier round games to potentially give us some entertaining games. Now, are we going to have some duds? Of course, but we have, we've had plenty of duds with a 14 playoff, you know, <laughs> format right now. So like, it makes sense for everybody. It brings more money for everybody. It does absolutely everything you want. And, and I agree. Like, it wasn't a matter of if it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when and how quickly could they make it happen and start profiting off of it. We've said this before on the show. A, the reason that I have been on board with this the most is access is a big thing, but using the March Madness as a reference, how big is it for your school to make it? How excited are you as a program to get there? And the way we now treat bowl games, the way they are talked about, the way they are discussed, even the New Year's Six Bowls, even those, you have players sitting out. Now, you have games, and you know what? Look, there's probably still going to be a player or two who sits out the playoff if they're the 12 seed, right? Maybe it's a maybe it's a LSU who gets in as the 12 seed, and you've got some players who are like, no, I'm just going to go get ready for the NFL. I don't care. That's fine. But now you can say I've made the playoff. And making the playoff and taking those bowl games, even they're going to bowl games, now suddenly it is a big deal you can hang a banner for and you can be excited for. And that is a good thing. That means more fan bases can care that much more about the postseason. And I love that. Uh, I have a... a Okay, so let me ask you guys this, because the one thing that didn't get spelled out to me that I'm a little bit confused by, we know the six highest ranked conference champions automatically make the postseason, make the tournament. We know that the top four highest ranked conference champs earn the top four seeds, earn the bye. 
do the other two conference champs automatically get seeds five and six, or are they just kind of fall into that five through 12? Because of right now, five through 12 is supposed to just be, as I understand, the other six teams are just the next highest ranked. Doesn't matter what, they are just the next highest ranked teams. Do the two other conference champs auto get seeds five and six and guarantee themselves a home game to open it? Or do they just fall? They're just guaranteed to get in and then they just fall within the rest and are just going to be seated wherever based off of where they are ranked. That is the one thing that was not clarified that I am very curious about. I think just looking at and going back and rereading some of this, like it talks about the four highest ranked conference champions are seated one through four. And then, right, 5 through 12 is just everybody else. It's, you know, the, the next ones that are ranked. So, yeah, I, I don't think that they get any kind of special protected status. Um, so, like, but this is where you're going to run into potentially an instance where, say, if a Notre Dame, you know, as an independent is a really good team that year and they end up, you know, second in the rankings, well, they're going to be seated as, as a fifth team because they are not coming from a conference championship. You know, you could find instances where there are teams or even, like, you know, if there's two really good SEC teams up at the top, that means that the SEC champion is going to be more, it's going to be much more important because they'll get the overall number one. And then whoever loses that game gets to five, no matter what. So like this is, I think it makes it a big deal to be one of those co- four conference champions. And you could see a big 12 school, you know, and potentially, you know, an ACC like, or a Pac-12 school get that four seed and put themselves in a good situation compared to a team that's supposed to be much better than them. Of course, that means they're probably going to end up playing that five seed, right? Like <laughs> they may have a, a tougher road in their quarterfinal game, but they will have the benefit of being into the quarterfinal game. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. At that point, being into a quarterfinal game for sure. And having been protected as one of the top four seeds. Yeah. I think uh, that you're right. We, do, we don't have clarity on that. And I would be fascinated to see what, what they say about it, because that is going to be, I think, important in this whole equation, because you, you could have, they they fourth seed in the in the top four could be the seventh best team in the tournament offensively. And so my gut feeling, and this is without any inside knowledge of the playoffs, because I just haven't covered the playoff stuff as closely, but my gut feeling is is that after that top four that they won't because because of the potential of that chaos, because that sixth conference champion in most years probably is a group of five team. And I, I just can't see them giving a group of five team a home a home game. As cool as it would be, it would be really cool to see. Let's just say for sake of argument, SMU. If SMU hosted a playoff game before saying that would be really cool, but I doubt. I just just knowing how that stuff typically works, I, I don't think they would end up going that route. Well, and and you could theoretically have an instance like I believe it was the ACC the one year that Florida State it was like a three loss team or something that won the ACC. I could have the team wrong com- completely, but there was. You know, we've had an instance before where one of the Power Five conference champions who ended up making it was, you know, like they, they would have been the sixth best conference champion. And for them to automatically get the number six seed and get to host a game when they basically are just there because they happen to be better than a whole bunch of other not so great teams, like, you know, or even if, heaven forbid, we got into a situation where the sixth best conference champion wasn't even in the top 12. Like they were, you know, if they were like the 21st ranked team or something like that, but they were the sixth best conference champion, you're going to jump them up to the sixth seed and give them a, the benefit of playing a home game in the first round of the playoffs. I, I highly doubt that they would let that happen, but they have to clarify it. We, we have to know what it is. Obviously, there's plenty of time for them to work out the logistics because as much as they say this could be getting done earlier, I, I have a hard time imagining it's going to be in place for next season. 
Well, they said that the earliest ad that anyone has rumored is twenty. Oh yeah, twenty twenty four. Right. Um, my bet is at worst it's. Let me see that the current contract ends in twenty after twenty twenty five. Correct, son. So, so the new Sam, the new contract for the playoff would begin in twenty twenty six or twenty twenty five. I think it's after twenty twenty. I think twenty twenty six will start. That's the earliest okay. that you could have a new playoff. Obviously, they if they are, I mean this. This whole thing feels like school presidents going, how much money are we leaving on the table? Okay, quit it and get it done. You idiots, you petty little. We got all, you read alignments. That, and that's the last thought. Sorry, I'm rambling. But <laughs> conference consolidation, unless the Big Ten or the SEC comes poaching, is over. I, I, I think when you provide this level of access, unless you are going to increase a school's budget by double or more, we're done. We're done moving. The Pac-12, the Pac-10 is set unless they br- unless you bring in a G5 school. That's one thing. But as far as eight back, Big 12, Pac-10, stealing from each other, I think this is done. I think the ACC I, I think is set. I think there's still potentially room, depending on what the offer that Pac- the Pac-12 gets, right? Like, there's still some room, but it's not likely that it's going to be this reoccurring, you know, year after year we're seeing stuff shuffle. One, because I just don't think that the Big 10 and the and the – SEC have the, the appetite to be doing this every single year and having to deal with it. I, I um, remain convinced from everyone I've talked to, period, that there is not neither the Big 12 nor Pac-12's what they're going to get from TV revenue is going to be substantially different enough right. to convince anyone to go one way or the other. And so at this point, with so many other factors that influence this, if you're a Pac-12 school, how much of your alumni base is on is on the actual West Coast, is in California, you want to play schools in the state of California on a regular basis because that's where you're located. So all the other factors, this is why, unless your budget's going to at least double, I think we're done. I think this seals that, this puts a cap on it until the Big Ten or SEC may decide to make whatever moves they want to move, uh, make after the ACC's contract comes up in another, I think, 300 years for the ESPN. Uh, okay, uh, last comment, a shout out to Ross Dellinger, uh, posted this on Twitter, Bob Bowlesby recently retired, of course, the former Big 12 commissioner, was part of the group that put this 12-team uh, expansion into place uh, behind closed doors in secret that was announced last year. Quote, uh, imagine that, he replied, asked to describe the year-long negotiations with commissioners. He said, I'd call it tortured. <laughs> I, somebody, I don't know how much money to throw at him. Somebody go get Bob, go and get him in a studio on a phone and let him just, you don't, you can say whatever you want. You're no longer employed by a conference. Just tell us how you really feel about the last year and all this nonsense that's come on. I, man, there's an ESPN 30 for 30. Just sit down. Bob Bowlesby and let him rant. That's a good, you know what? I'm going to tell him next time I talk to my good friend, Max Olson, I'm going to, I'm going to run that one by him and say, Hey, just go let Bob rip for a while. <laughs> say whatever you want, man. Whatever you'd like to say. I would it. say, I would say, Philip, we just need to make sure that, you know, when he goes and does that and runs the story that you get a shout out for that idea. So, Hey, you know what? I, I, I will know in my heart. I'll know. I'll know. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about football. Man, there was quite a bit, bit of good football this weekend, and I know it did not go the way that the Big 12 and West Virginia would have wanted it to go, but I mean, this is why we need more regional rivalries played on a regular basis, okay? This is why we need these things. The backyard brawl, finally back after a decade, did not disappoint. That game was ridiculous. Absolutely crazy. Heartbreaking and crushing in the end. The pit six was, uh, oof. 
I mean, oof. You come away from that game, and if you're West Virginia, you just, I, I get it. I listened to, to Brandon Phoenix, the Raspy Voice Kids, our West Virginia show. I listened to his little seven-minute uh, response. I, you could tell seven minutes was the most he could get out of himself. That's all he had left in the tank after that loss, especially that night. And I get it. You had that game, and it just it fell apart. And look, I, I'm going to say this. If you think this all came down to Neil Brown's decision not to go for that fourth and short, and if they had just gone for that, they'd have won this game. Maybe. Maybe they don't get it. Because, again, it's a 50-50. There's literally a Twitter account that tracks, like, what you should do on fourth down. And I need to go find it, and I will find the Twitter account. But, I mean, it literally is running the, the measurements of should you go for it or should you not. And it was basically like a eh. It was not like a, yes, you should go for it, you're an idiot. It was an eh. One way or the other. So we can all sit here and say, you should have done it. I've seen plenty of times where, you should do it. Oh, they're going to do it. Oh, they don't get it. He made a decision he thought was right. It's not his fault that the defense then just decided to not play defense and let Pitt basically march down the field for the longest drive they'd had, if not all night, for a very long time in that game and score a touchdown and then have off the hands of the best player on the field all night just bounce off his fingers into a defender's hands who is able to find a path all the way to the end zone. I mean, there is a point in college football where you have to look at things and go, I don't think the college football gods were on our side tonight and that's a little bit of how that game felt that's because it was that close and it came down to a few just little bang bang didn't bounce your way plays and Pitt is the victor and West Virginia starts the season 0-1 Sam I'm gonna start with you here what what is the one big takeaway you have as far as West Virginia did that game change your opinion on them for the season coming in or 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 what what do you think about West Virginia now that that game has wrapped no I I don't I don't think it changed my opinion very much of them. I, I thought they were a team under Neil Brown, in my opinion, this is a team that's played hard pretty consistently under him. He, they haven't been the most talented. Uh, they, they haven't been a team that's gone out and dazzled us by any stretch, but they play hard and, and they, and they played hard on Thursday. I like a lot of what I saw from JT Daniels, from Graham Harrell, obviously not don't like a lot of what I saw up front. JT got hit a lot. Uh, but but you like what you saw from the run game, and, and so there was there was a good mixed bag in there. And I think this is a team that if you can get over this, this is a team that can still be a factor in the conference race. There's enough there from a playmaking standpoint. There's enough there from a leadership standpoint. Uh, there's enough there even defensively. Like I said, th- those lapses obviously late were, were difficult, but but they were in position. They were in position in this game. So it's a rivalry game. I chalk it up to that. And, uh, you know, one that came down to the wire, one that could have gone either way, one that, one that, you know, very, very, we're talking about inches at the end, you know, with, with a catch at the end of the ball game. So, or not catch, not catch. So I think this is, I, I think, I still think this is a team that I felt fairly optimistic about coming in. And, and I think I still feel that way despite the loss. Yeah. I mean, looking at this game, you know, they, they say all the time, you should not overreact to week one results. And honestly, especially when that week one result is, part of a rivalry game because we know, you know, there are lots of documented evidence that teams either play up really well or play down really bad. And you have no idea which one it is like until you have a full body of work from the season. So like I, I still am undecided on what this West Virginia team is going to be. Now, granted, part of that is because I do think that Kansas has a good opportunity to go and knock them off this weekend, but that might be my own personal bias. But I mean, I don't think any of the questions I had from West Virginia got answered in this one. And I also don't know that, even if they had been gotten, you know, 
even if I got an answer from this game, I don't know how much I can trust it, given that it is the first time they've played Pit in a really long time. It was a huge hyped up matchup. And, you know, there was some, there was some stuff there that they did that I just couldn't figure out why. Like, it seemed like they had a very effective running game for a large portion of that game. And then you went into the fourth quarter when the game was still close and it seemed like they just went away from it entirely. And, and, you know, I don't know why you make those decisions. I understand you brought in, you know, JT Daniels and you want him to be able to kind of get going. But when you're that close in a game, in a game that, you know, my understanding from this West Virginia team is that they expect their running game to be one of the things that powers them offensively. But to go away from that in such a crucial situation and it ends so disastrously for you, like you have to be second guessing that. Like, again, I don't know how far this is going to go, what kind of momentum this is going to have for them going through the rest of the season. But there was enough there that if you want to be worried, you can be worried about this West Virginia team. If you want to find a bunch of positives, I think there was enough there. But it's all being kind of shrouded by the fact that this is the first time they played Pitt in forever. And, you know, everybody was super hyped up for this game. Did that make them play worse? Did it make them play better? I have absolutely no idea. I think for West Virginia at this point, I feel better about them against the teams I would project towards the bottom of the conference, where I am now the most worried, as I always was, but now definitely more based off the way the offensive line performed. Look, give Pitt's defensive line credit. They are really, really good. But West Virginia has to face Baylor and their defensive line. Oklahoma State and their defensive line, and Kansas State and their defensive line. Those are going to be three games that I already probably would have circled as losses, but now I feel even more so. That that offensive line is going to have to, to make a lot of adjustments quickly. Again, it's week one. You've got a lot of time to make changes. And for West Virginia, you get Kansas at home this week. We'll talk about that coming up. Towson before a road game at Virginia Tech, who... <laughs> if they could have beat Pitt, that 4-0 bet that I had was... I'm sorry, Andy. Like... Money, you had money in the bank. If they could have, aren't just you? Past aren't it. you happier though that that your heart got ripped out on that this week or like this last week than this week coming up? My my heart is intact. It's perfectly fine. Where my heart almost was ripped out was watching Oklahoma State give up a fifty-one to fourteen lead to Central Michigan in the second half, while a young back seven or inexperienced back seven in various cases, uh, look, there are signs of it early. And Central Michigan didn't take advantage of it. And then they went into the locker room. And Central Michigan comes out in the second half of Oklahoma State CMU. And Central Michigan realized what they could do. And they took advantage of a a back seven that is young and inexperienced. And they threw everything at them. And they could not do much to stop it. And I think for OSU, if you're an OSU fan, you feel good that you still got a double-digit win. Won by 14 points, even though you gave up quite a bit in the second half. You know that there's going to be a lot of tape and a lot of things to work on for Oklahoma State moving in the next few weeks. And you've got two week, three weeks before you open conference play on the road to Baylor. You get Arizona State this week coming up. We'll talk about that in a bit, as I said. And then if you've got University of Arkansas, Pennsylvania, or Pine Bluff, sorry, UAPB, FCS school. So don't know enough about ASU to have a fair judgment on that game. But you got a lot of work to do. Derek Mason's got some work to do. Uh, but, man, I said all offseason. For Oklahoma State to have a good year this year, their offense is going to have to make up for whatever they lose on defense. I know they didn't score much in the second half. They took their foot off the gas offensively. Even though they kept the starters out there, you could tell they took their foot off the gas. But the reason they kept the starters out there was Mike Gundy was watching the defense going, hey, uh, we may not want to just bring in. They tried to bring in the second unit. Gunnar Gundy got his 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 three snaps 
Um, and then he was back on the bench. So that was a nice moment for him. But uh, Sam, Oklahoma State got the win, starts 1-0. It was a little bit dicier than we expected in the second half. I mean, how do you feel about Oklahoma State after week one? Yeah, certainly the way it finishes concerning. And so it, it brings me to this question. Under Jim Knowles and what they did last year defensively, to me it felt like Oklahoma State changed the way it won football. So remember when we used to be Mike Gundy and 10 personnel and score 60 points all the time and win these shootouts like this? This is what that felt like. So the question to me is, is this an aberration? You know, and, and they're going to go back and they're going to regroup and, and get better defensively? Or are we going to get back to playing like that? Is this is how this, this team is going to have to win? And kudos to Spencer Sanders. He looked great. You know, the receivers look great. They, they threw it all over the yard. Uh, so, but, but that, that to me is the question coming out of this game is, is this an aberration just because it was week one? Or is this a sign of a trend that we're going to have to watch out? Yeah, I mean, and, and really, I think this is, again, kind of that same point, right? I don't really know what to take from this one. But I think what was pretty clear, you know, in following that one towards the end was that they did, like, you know, you talk about how you don't want to pull players out because you don't want to have to try them, put them back in. You can kind of say the same thing about you don't really, especially with an offense like Oklahoma State, which is so much about building that momentum and keeping everything running that way. When you take your foot off the gas, it gets really hard to just ramp it back up when you need it. And the fact that Central Michigan started to make that comeback, like what I saw going back and looking at the end of that game, it just looked like Oklahoma State, when they were trying to ramp it back up, they just couldn't get it going again. And so ideally, they're not going to have to worry about that in the Big 12, but I think there's enough Big 12 teams here that if they start to get going late, can really start to snowball things. So Oklahoma State is going to have to be, I think they're going to be the most susceptible to a big upset when they get up really big, go into half, and then come out at halftime and kind of take their foot off the gas here because there's a lot of Big 12 teams, I think, that can get going pretty quickly, and I just don't know that Oklahoma State's defense is going to have enough to completely stop them in their tracks and to give their offense time to ramp it back up. So you still have to feel really good about what Oklahoma State can do this year. But if you're looking for a reason to be worried about any one particular game, it's going to be a situation where they take their foot off of the gas offensively in the second half and then have to turn it back on and just can't get it going. Shout out to Feels Like 45, our Oklahoma State podcast here in the network. They put two great threads, one offensive, one defensive out on Twitter. If you're not following them, go and do so. Shouts to Caden Dustin for the work they do. But one thing they noted on defense, 24 defensive players saw at least nine snaps in that game. They rotated a lot of guys in and out. This is a young and an inexperienced back seven and your DBs and your linebackers, there's concerns at linebacker for sure, but you don't replace Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper easily. Uh, you just don't. No, you don't. Unless you're Alabama and you recruit, replace everybody easily, and that's you can't hold anybody else to that standard. Maybe Georgia. That's just unfair. Uh, very excited to see what, it, what Oklahoma State does moving forward. TCU. Going on the road to Colorado. Late start. I'm going to be honest. Uh, this game got going late. As I mentioned, I have a small child, a baby. Um, I have three kids, three and under. Uh, if you are a first-time listener to the show and weren't aware of that, if you're a long-time listener to the show, you know this already. So I cannot say that I stayed up to watch all this TCU <laughs> game. I watched as much as I could. I did. The kids, the, the three-month-old still sleeping in our room. So, you know, that's not lying. So I'm just watching on my phone until... Uh, I'm going to say this. From what I watched... And what I re looked at, 
I, I can't make a bold statement on this game because, again, I have not watched all the second half. I know that they have decided that, that Chad Morris is their starting quarterback. I'm not sure they should make that decision just yet. I think there still might be a quarterback controversy in Fort Worth because I don't feel like he absolutely won this job. Thank goodness the TCU rushing game was as good as it was, compiling 275 yards on the ground against a bad Colorado team for a nice 38-13 comfortable win. And TCU should have, a, I mean, look, you got SMU coming up in a few weeks, and that's a game you definitely don't want to lose this year of all years. If ever there was a year not to lose to SMU, it's this year. But for TCU, Sam, I'm curious, uh, our tech expert here, uh, do you feel like there's still a quarterback controversy at, at TCU? And uh, and what was your takeaway overall of the Horn Frogs' performance in, in Boulder? I think they got a couple guys that can win with at quarterback, for sure. Like, Chandler was a little rough early. He started to get in a groove later. The injury took him out, which, which was a little frustrating. And we'll have to see how that ends up, how long that holds him out. But Duggan can still get it done. Uh, he obviously can get it done on the ground as, as he always has. And Sam Jackson was really electrifying when he came in. And uh, I, like you, I have two children. Mine are a little bit older, one's seven, one's two. But I was struggling to see that one too. But I made it, and I got because I got my warm up in week zero for that North Texas UTEP nine o'clock kick, and I fell asleep a little bit in the fourth quarter of that one. So. I already got my my reps under me, so I was ready, and it was hard, but I stayed up for the whole thing. First, I'll say this is Colorado's not very good. That is a bad <laughs> football team that TCU beat. But, uh, and as rough as TCU looked early, the, the, the biggest things were, like the, the quarterback, I, I think they're fine with any of those guys. I, I think they're all, they all have some special ability and, and some potential. Uh, this, get, get the ball to Quentin Johnson. And I thought they did, they, they, they struggled that early. And then eventually you saw Garrett Riley start calling some reverses and some short passes, swing passes, get the ball to him. That, that's important. Running game picked up. And then defensively, I really was impressed how fast they played because this is their first time playing in something that is not Gary Patterson's 4-2-5 in their careers. So I was really impressed with how quickly they picked up Joe Gillespie's system, how fast they played. They ran to the ball. There wasn't a lot of sloppy tackling. Overall, they were very, very sound defensively. So I think a lot to like, definitely not perfect because, like I said, that you could see a lot of the struggles and kinks in the first half that need to be worked out. But overall, fairly good win. It should see how the quarterback situation plays out and how Chandler's health ends up being. But but I think they've got enough guys to win with, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really do much but echo what you were saying because Colorado is a bad defensive team across the board. Like, it was great that your running game went absolutely ballistic here. But to have the struggles that you did trying to throw the ball um, – that has to be a warning sign. Again, it's not a panic. Like, it's don't panic about it. But the fact that you played a team in Colorado who is projected to have as bad of a pass defense as they have or, or as they are projected this year, that is a game that you should have at least been able to get something going, to not have any touchdowns. Sure, you didn't throw a pick, but you really didn't do a lot in that passing game anyway because the running game was so was was so dominant. But there were plenty of times from what I saw. Again, I didn't actually get to watch most of this game because – it's kind of hard to watch another game when you're in a press box, but like it's, and I haven't had an opportunity to go back and watch the rest of it, but I, I'm definitely interested to, because everything, it, like it, it seemed to me from everything I saw, they were trying to throw the ball. It wasn't a case where the running game was so dominant that they just decided we're just going to run and that's all we're going to do. And they can't even stop it. Like they were running quite a bit. Yes. And it was being very successful, but they were still trying to throw the ball and it just wasn't working. And so 
like, again, if you're looking for a reason to, to be worried, that's the reason to be worried. They're going to have to figure out how they're going to get the, the offense through the, through the air. Because once we get into conference play, there are so many really good running teams that every single team is going to be prepared in some fashion for a good running team, especially as you, when, you, when you get towards the end of the year. Because, because literally you go up and down the entire Big 12, you know, conference. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time finding a team that does not or is not expected to have a really good running game this year. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they can hold up over the course of the year. And they're going to have to find a way to develop a quarterback in season to be able to to get that passing game going because the running game is not going to be able to carry them the entire season. One thing that can carry you all season long is the incredibly comfortable t-shirts, sweaters, and hoodies that you can get at home field apparel, the home the best vintage college sports apparel you will find anywhere. And of course, now if say you want those incredibly comfortable shirts and sweaters and hoodies, and you don't want to have a logo on them, I, I guess that's something you could do. They do have the core collection, which is just their incredibly comfortable gear. But Homefield's been a sponsor on the show and this network for quite some time. Um, I don't know that I can buy something without a logo because the logos are too good they're too good for every school that's on there and of course every big 12 school is available on home field apparel if you didn't know that is current and future i wore my uh or my tcu shirt on saturday so uh i felt felt like right felt right the really cool one i have two shirts of vintage logos wearing large fur coats i believe there's actually only one more on home field that i don't own christmas is coming Hit, hit, nudge, nudge, poke, poke, wink, wink, wife, who doesn't listen to this podcast, but that's okay. I'll just tell her. She'll be aware. Uh, like I said, every Big 12 school on there, and you can start your collection with promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, for 15% off your first purchase. Um, I do follow the good brand on Twitter, as you all should be doing. They are going to be releasing shirts for like national championship teams this week. So if your team has won a national championship... As an OSU plan, please don't put one out for that 1945 thing that they decided to hang in the stadium. I don't really want that. But Oklahoma, Texas, you could probably get one for football. Is it? I don't know if it's just football. I assume it's football because it's for football season. Oklahoma, Texas. Does anyone like? Does BYU have one from like the 30s? I'm gonna go do some research. I should probably start doing that before those schools get here. Now I'm really curious if like Cincinnati and BYU have. BYU has one, but I don't remember what year it is. But yes, it's from a while back when they got voted as the champion in the poll. God, I hope they put one out for UCF just for the laughs, just for Twitter, that just be because amazing. UCF fans would buy that thing. They'd buy out of stock. They'd be so busy. I and the it best would just part. Be gold. All they have to do is put a tiny little asterisk there, so that everybody that wants to complain about it can complain about it and say, "Hey, look, it's there," but make it so small that that even UCF fans wouldn't really care that much about it. Oh, so good. So if that happens uh you all should be paying attention to the good brand on twitter at homefield apparel homefield apparel network 12 15 off your first order be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel this football season i'm sam and i co-host the scott Holm podcast the known universe's first houston cougar sports podcast every week even during the off season my co-host dustin and i come on and talk everything current as it relates to the Cougs, and every so often, we'll bring on UH luminaries like Carl Lewis, Kellen Sampson, and a number of other fantastic Cougar voices. And as proud members of the 1012 Network, we also find the time to talk about our future conference and future opponents in the Big 12 as well. If all of that sounds even a little bit interesting to you, we would love it if you subscribe to the Scott Holm Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere else you put podcasts in your ears. That's podcast spelled P A W D. 
cast because the two of us hosting the show are nothing if not big dorks. So thank you and go Cougs. Boom. Bosco's Boys is here. I think we all wanted it. And the marriage is officially official. I'm so pumped to bring my show to the 1012 Network, Bosco's Boys, the most consistent K-State podcast out there. Over four years with at least one episode a week. Bringing live shows to the listeners and to the participants every Wednesday at 7 p.m. I'm pumped to be here, and I would love it if you guys came over to Bosco's Boys and gave us a listen. Because we are not Big J Journos. This is a podcast by a fan and his dog for fellow K-State and Big 12 fans. And I can't wait to chop it up with all the members and fans of the 1012 Network. All right, we had a lot of blowouts on Saturday. A lot of Big 12 teams blowing out opponents. Only one really stood out to me, but we'll try and touch on a few of them. Andy, Kansas blew out an FCS team. And for those of you saying, who cares? Let me replay, let me restate that slowly so that you can allow it a moment to process through your brains. Kansas, the University of, in a football game, blew out an FCS team. Kansas doesn't blow out anybody. They blew out an FCS team. And you can say that doesn't mean anything. And what that tells me is, this might be the first time in more than a decade that can't, losing to Kansas will not be a meme. It'll just be a loss on your record. Kansas, Andy, as our Kansas guru here, buddy, I'm going to give you the floor for a whole 60 seconds to say whatever you want about Kansas trouncing Tennessee Tech. Only 60 seconds? Okay, look, you stole my thunder a little bit because over on Blue Wings Rising today, we actually had uh, our editor over there, Kyle Davis, wrote an article talking about the last 10 games, right, that Kansas had against FCS opponents. Um, the record isn't really that great at all. And they're really, really close wins when they do win. So the fact that they blew them out in this game is absolutely phenomenal. It's a huge positive sign. I said going into this game that I could see one of two things happening. Either Kansas was going to win big because they were going to keep the starters in the entire game and they were just going to run up and down to try to get as much positive momentum as possible going into West Virginia. Or they were going to play as many good players as they possibly could and it was probably going to be at best a three-score game. Like, I, di I thought it was an either-or. Instead, what we got was we got both. We got them playing tons of people in the first half, all up and down both sides of the ball. We had seven different players score a touchdown in this game, which is absolutely ridiculous. They had five rushing touchdowns. Running back is, by far, I think, the deepest room for the entire team this year. Um, you know, their running back core is going to be phenomenal this year. It will be interesting to see how they stack up against everyone else because I think Kansas has the most options that could potentially play significant minutes. They may not have all the best options, but they have the most options up and down the entire room. But the fact that they did this, you know, with only a couple minor mistakes, Lonnie Phelps, you look at his pro football focus grade from this week is absolutely phenomenal. Like the fact that Kansas is doing great things on both sides of the ball. And again, yes, you can say FCS team. And honestly, it's a pretty bad FCS team at that. But to win by 46 points, again, this is not something we've seen Kansas do in a really, really long time. That gets them back to the, you're doing what you're supposed to do against bad teams. Like, both Kansas having a great season for Kansas and Kansas having an okay good season, both required you to have a pretty convincing win in this game. The fact that they did it the way they did now opens up tons of possibilities. It's no longer impossible to see Kansas actually having a good year. Yeah, I think 
to Andy's point, not even to very much this, but I will say I am encouraged that you beat down a team that you're supposed to in the way that you're supposed to beat them down. I was just back going back to look. When's the last time they won a game by 40-plus points? And I, the latest one I found was September 15, 2018. They beat Rutgers 55-14, to 14, which I guess at that time Rutgers was close to an FCS team. But, uh, it's, oh, yeah, yeah. That was long called – like that was anticipated as the toilet bowl of the century. Like it was, it was expected to be a really bad game, and Kansas jumped on them early. And rode to a gigantic win. So yeah, yeah, that that was uh, just as surprising. I think this is. But we're talking four years. So it's been four years since they've won a game by forty points. And I think we saw signs of this last year. Was, of course, obviously they beat Texas. Everybody wants to make fun of that, but they went in there and that was a back and forth game. And then of course they came very very close to beating Oklahoma. Uh, the progress that they made in year one under Leipold was clear. And this is the question: Is okay? Can you build upon it? And so. This is a good first sign. And then we get to see, obviously, with West Virginia, what do we see as we get into West Virginia? And, and that'll be another sign of, okay, how much more improvement are we seeing? But it, it is an encouraging sign, to say the least, for the Jayhawks. And, and, hey, kudos for them and their fans because they've been through a lot. Yeah, and, and to your point about beating Texas, like that, and that shouldn't necessarily be a meme moving forward. Like that was them catching Texas at the exactly the right time. But this is nowhere near the meme potential that 2016 was, right? When they beat them, I said at that time, it was like, this is either going to be the only highlight of David Beatty's time at Kansas, which it was, or it's going to be the start of the turnaround. It's it's one or the other. There's no way it's, it's anywhere in the middle. You could say the exact same thing about this last one, except this one felt like last year that game against Texas was the start of the turnaround. The question, obviously, is how long does it take that turnaround? But we're going to be looking back on this. You're going to have two Kansas wins over Texas. One is an absolute joke that everybody can make fun of for the longest time. I think we're going to get to a point where if people remember last year's victory of Kansas over Texas is going to be remembering it as the start of when Leipold got it turned around and not as the, oh my gosh, Kansas beat Texas, everybody laugh at them. And the next two games at West Virginia, and then they have Houston after that, which I've kept saying, I've, uh, and I live down here, that's my alma mater, University of Houston, is I've told people don't sleep on that one. You know, should Houston win that one? Probably, but I don't know, especially after what we saw in Houston's over against UTSA, but, and, and we'll get to that. But that, that, Kansas has a chance here to make some real noise here in September. And it's kind of amazing that we're sitting here saying that. <laughs> so, Sam, you mentioned Houston. I – oh, man. Look, I have nothing but respect for UTSA. That is my that is my G five team with Tulsa because I you know, grew up in Tulsa. But UTSA, meet me. It's so much fun. That game was significantly closer than it should have been. And it, Houston feels a little lucky with some things that kind of went their way to have even been in this spot to go into overtime and win that game in the end. I was really high on Houston coming into the season. Um, their schedule's not ha- daunting. But, again, you don't want to read in too much into week one. But I'm feeling less confident about Houston now sitting here than I was heading into the weekend. I would agree, and they get Texas Tech this weekend, and that's going to be another big litmus test. They go on the road to Lubbock, which, by the way, they didn't beat them last year when they host them in their energy stadium uh, in a game they were up 14 nothing in a hurry. The one thing that had concerned me about Houston coming into this year, and, and I heard a lot, a lot of people talking about them possibly running the table, you know, being a dark horse playoff team and stuff like that, which I don't think their schedule is built to get them there. But the one question I had and the one – bugaboo for them to me was 
the absence of Alton McCaskey. He was such a dynamic guy for them last year as a freshman, you know, 16 touchdowns. And he's just adds a different element to that offense. And him going down with that knee injury in the spring, I just wondered, are they going to be able to get the same punch in the backfield? And they they were not they, – they definitely struggled to run the ball when they tried to force the issue early in the first half. And then things started to turn around in the second half when they started throwing the ball a little bit more. And – but they, they were on the ropes, buddy. I mean, they were they they failed a fourth and one in the third quarter, down twenty-one-seven. That if UTSA does not have twelve men on the field that gives Houston a first down, doesn't extend that drive. Who knows what happens after that? Who knows if we even get to it? And so, kudos to Houston because they they took advantage of that. They they scored you know two straight scores. And Derek Paris with a great you know rush that turned into an interception, and then we got a instant classic finish with with Clayton Tune and Frank Harris dueling it out. But I would agree. I would agree. Houston has a lot of things to work out. And it's going to be really interesting these next two weeks with Tech and Kansas coming up on uh, to see how they how they smooth some of that out. Yeah, I mean, think of the other play, you know, that did that the refs messed up that theoretically could have made it so we didn't have overtime. The the timing play when they went back and saw, you know, uh, elbow down, way behind the line of scrimmage, let it run off an extra 20 seconds, and then they wound the clock again. Like, there was a lot of stuff and, you know, UTSA got down really close to the end zone as well and ended up kicking a field goal to send it into overtime. But if they had another 20 seconds, they might have had an opportunity to actually punch it in the end zone. I I, I actually previewed Houston with Sam and Dustin over in the Scott and Holman podcast here, here on the network. And they actually, I, I was a little surprised when they said this, but they said that looking at the schedule for Houston, their toughest three-game stretch is the first three games of the season because they miss basically everybody in Conference USA this year in the actual regular season schedule, you know, and so UTSA was a team that they had tabbed as a, you know, they could be sneaky good this year. This could be a team that they're not necessarily ready for, and especially if Houston has to take some time to ramp up to where they're going to be for the season, like, that could be a problem. Then going to Lubbock, and, you know, I don't know if they were just pandering to me because they were on my podcast, but talking about how, you know, that is not necessarily a gimme game. You know, I mean, they were talking about like Leipold and all that stuff, you know, being there and how Kansas is getting better. You don't know if it's going to be a gimme game by that point. But I think we saw from the first week of the season, like that is not one that you can immediately pencil in as a win. It should still be a win, I would I would say. But like you can't look at that one and say, oh, absolutely, there's no way they're losing that game. And so, yeah, this is like the toughest three-game stretch for them of the entire year. If they can come out of this three-game stretch 3-0, then you feel really good about the momentum that they can build. But I would not be shocked if they lose next week at Texas Tech and then if they're in a dogfight with Kansas the week after that. So, like, this is going to be a really tough next two weeks for them. We'll see how how well they can get out of it. Cincinnati replacing a ton. And I want to give them props because – Look, they went into an Arkansas team that who knows where they finish in the SEC West, but that's a well-coached and good team with a really good quarterback. Cincinnati does not get the win, but I have a hard time not coming away from that game, at least feeling pretty good about Cincinnati. If your goals for them are to win the AAC again and and go to a potentially New Year's Six Bowl, go to a nice bowl game this year, they're not going to make back to the playoff. But for Cincinnati, with everything they've replaced, to play Arkansas as tough as they did, which did not hit that under. Went over by half a point. Stupid <laughs> second half scoring. Uh, I felt at least, I felt good about the the idea that Cincinnati is going to have to replace pieces. But I think there's, we say either like reloading or rebuilding. 
I think replacing needs to be in there as well. Because I, I don't think it's the same as reloading. But I think you have to replace some pieces. It's not a reload where you just automatically put everything back in and you're ready to go. And it's not a full rebuild where you're having to start over from scratch and get it back to where you were. I think replacing is a good middle term in between those two. And I think that's where Cincinnati is, is they've got to replace those pieces and they're going to work on doing that. In the meantime, this is still a really good football team that's going to be very competitive and have a legitimate shot to defend their title in the AAC this year. No, 100%. I think I think this is such a huge year because this is where you can, especially coming into the Big 12, and I think Houston's in the same spot. You want to be able to build that foundation coming into the league you're elevating. You, they have been recruiting at a high level. We saw it in the draft. We saw it with the roster last year. And you've just you've got to follow up that run with, like you said, another run to the conference championship. If you can get back into the game, if you can get back and win the conference, it's a huge first step. And, and being as competitive on the road against a good SEC team, I think is a great sign for the Bearcats. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's really what it was, right? Like last year, Arkansas was a team that was on the rise throughout the entire year. Um, you know, they played in an absolutely hellacious uh, SEC division last year, so they weren't able to finish as strong as they would like. But there was a lot of big expectations for both of these teams coming into the year. And for Cincinnati to be down 14 nothing at half and be able to still, you know, maintain their momentum in that game, like get back into that game and make it an actual game that was worth watching by the end. Like, I, I think you have to give them a ton of props. They went on the road to a really tough place. You know, and, and they did a really good job, I think, of overcoming some adversity and just not quite having enough to come up with that. Plenty of blowouts in the Big 12 this weekend. Oklahoma over UTEP 45 to 13. Iowa State over SEMO 42 to 10. Baylor over Albany 69. Nice to 10. Kansas State 34. South Dakota nothing. Texas Tech 63. Murray State 10. And Texas over Louisiana Monroe 52 to 10. Uh, all right, guys. What do you think was the blowout that you can actually take something away from? I'll start with the one I was at. I was at Texas and Louisiana Monroe. And I took away some interesting stuff because I, I wasn't sure what to expect. They start two freshman offensive linemen. Quinn Ewers is making his first start since he was at South Lake Carroll in 2020. You have no idea what some of these defenders are going to look like as they've moved around some pieces there too. And I don't think they're – I don't – come away thinking they're in any better position to beat Alabama than I did before the season. But I do see some promise in that roster moving forward throughout the rest of the season, especially with viewers. He didn't blow anybody away, but I don't know that we need to expect him to blow anybody away last night. I thought you want to see him hit some deep balls a little bit better, but overall the way he responded to a really disastrous start where he threw a pick on the second play was really poorly uh, forced ball into traffic. Uh, I was I was interested to see how poised he was after that. He he made a lot of third and third and fourth down conversions the rest of the way and seemed to have some poise that uh, that I don't think I knew about him coming in. So uh, I certainly took a lot away from that one. But yeah, I think they're going to run into a buzzsaw against uh, Alabama, and then it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to that uh, in the weeks following, where they have UTSA and Texas Tech after after the tie. Yeah, for me, um, I think it actually has to be that Texas Tech game against Murray State. Um, Look, I mean, all the other ones were completely expected. Like, I didn't see, like, I, I heard a lot of OU fans talking about, oh my gosh, look how fantastic Dylan Gabriel was. Like, I didn't see anything well past the expectation or something that immediately made me think, oh, he has a, you know, you know, conference player of the year type of performance already or, or, or anything like that. Texas Tech was the team of that group that I was the most intrigued about what they're actually going to be this year, right? Like, 
you can talk about how important it was to see Kansas, you know, have that huge blow that they did. I think it was just as important for Texas Tech. You know, brand new Joey McGuire head coach trying to figure out who the quarterback is going to be. Like all of this stuff that they have, all the questions that they have, trying to figure out what their identity is going to be this year with with the first year under a new head coach. But I think the, the most interesting question for me as well coming out of that game is who should Texas Tech's quarterback be moving forward? Because I think both, you know, Chuck and Smith played really well in these games. Um, Smith ended up being the, you know, the leading passer for, for Texas Tech there. So like, I think that there was a lot of questions now to be answered for Texas Tech, but the fact that they had two guys that played well enough to both be in the conversation because of how well they played, not because of both of them were just awful, that, or that brings up a lot of questions for Texas Tech, but I think it also can give you a little bit of, I guess, comfort if you're a Texas Tech fan to realize that they're still getting the big wins that they should be getting, even with all the questions surrounding the team this year. One thing real quick, I'll interject there, Andy. According to my good friend Mike Craven over at Dave Campbell's Texas Football, speaking of Tyler Shuck, apparently he suffered an injury in that game and could be out the next two weeks. So we could Ooh, be see, seeing, I hadn't seen that. Yeah. That would explain why Smith had such a good game or had the opportunity to have such a good game. I didn't realize he had actually had I, an injury. Yeah, and that, and that just came down – probably about an hour ago. So uh, okay. at least according to the timestamp on Craven's story, but that, that obviously turns it into Donovan Smith's show for the, for the immediate future. And then we may, who knows, we may see some Baron Morton as well. Uh, but yeah, it, it is, that's going to be interesting dynamic and, and a tough break, obviously for Chuck, who obviously missed a lot of last season after breaking the collarbone. But, uh, but, but it is, like I said, like I was saying earlier with Houston, that, that game to me this weekend is going to be so fascinating because I think we're going to learn a lot about those two teams. Yeah, unfortunately, that continues the string like I was talking about. I was talking with, with Albie Shores, like, can Texas Tech keep their quarterback healthy this year? And unfortunately, it sounds like that's not the case. So um, hopefully it's only a couple weeks and he can come back and then they can actually have a proper, you know, evaluation of who the quarterback should be moving forward. But, man, I want to know what it is that Texas Tech has going on down there that they can't seem to keep a quarterback healthy. I hate that it happened this way, but I've been on the Donovan Smith train all offseason, so I'm happy to see it leaving the station, though I would prefer it for other reasons than injury. Uh, I'll say this for two. Kansas State, nice win. I think South Dakota was the best FCS team anybody in the Big 12 was going to be facing this season. Look, they got up 20 to nothing in the first quarter, 27 to nothing in half, and just coasted to the end, so don't let them only scoring 34 points on South Dakota. They could go like, well, that's not that impressive. It was. They literally did not try to worry about much the rest of the game. Iowa State 42, SEMO, Southeast Missouri State 10. Look, Iowa State, and I listened to Jamie and Eric over on the Cyclone Family Podcast, our Iowa State show here in the network, talk about one of the things they wanted to see this weekend was Iowa State not playing with its food and, and just soundly beating an FCS opponent, which, look, Iowa State under Matt Campbell week one, blowouts don't happen often. We've seen them struggle with FCS teams, need overtime to beat them, even if it's Northern Iowa or whatever, on a pretty regular basis. See them go out and blow somebody out, an FCS opponent, in week one, with as much as they had to replace in the offseason under this new team. I don't know if it means anything for next week, but it is a positive sign of something as an Iowa State fan. I'm sure happy to see not have a struggle in week one, which leads me to how we're going to wrap this show, looking ahead to the week ahead. Iowa State fans... As far as I can tell, as long as you guys don't give up a safety, you should finally be able to beat the Iowa Hawkeyes this coming weekend. Um, I don't, the only way, because if you don't understand, Iowa beat whatever FCT, I think it was South Dakota State, it was the other South Dakota, beat them 7-3 to three and didn't score a touchdown. 
There's a tweet from a brewery who are going to give out free jello shots for every touchdown scored by Iowa. They're going to save all of those for next week. But the real joke is the only way that could have been a more Iowa game is if Iowa State or if Iowa had not actually kicked the field goal. 4-3 sounds like an Iowa win. I don't know about you guys. That's the most Iowa thing ever. Uh, it's just how many Iowa jokes Honestly, can we make Honestly, 4-3 sounds here? like a Big Ten basketball game. So, <laughs> Guys, I will tell you, I, I tried because I saw all the talk on Twitter about this game, and I tuned in in the fourth quarter for like three possessions, and I couldn't <laughs> do it. I couldn't do it. I saw three possessions. I saw three punts, and I checked out. I was like, guys, bless y'all that are having fun with this, but I just can't. I cannot. Fun on Twitter I, so, is not fun and watching the game. <laughs> right, right. No, no. I was uh, I was thoroughly enjoying it with some some good friends who are Iowa State fans. Um, actually, I think the funniest thing to come out of the entire weekend was uh, good friends over at Wide Right Natty Light uh, wrote a and yes, they had to put in the the deck for the article. You know, this is satire. That means it's not real. Um, said that they name or that they made a change at starting quarterback and named the punter their starting quarterback because of course. You know, everything can go wrong if you try to throw the ball on first down. Instead, we just punt it and let the defense score. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's great. Uh, can Iowa State finally beat Iowa? I don't know, but it is one of the games in an absolutely loaded week two for the Big 12. Let me just, like, as, as and I'm sorry, week one, love to see Big 12 football back. We saw a ton of blowouts on Saturday, a bunch of FCS games. Week two. I mean, it's it's a massive. It's the difference between watching Iowa, South Dakota, and watching North Carolina, App State. Okay, quality versus and fun football versus. I don't think Iowa fans even enjoy them. They might have. They're a weird freaking bunch. Uh, let's go through this slate. We've got the Cyhawk Trophy back again. Iowa, Iowa State. We've got Oklahoma State, Arizona State, Alabama, Texas, Kansas State, Missouri, Texas Tech, Houston. Games we've mentioned: West Virginia, Kansas, Baylor, BYU. And then we've got Oklahoma, Kent State, and TCU, Tarleton. All right, Andy, you. Oh, and hold on, I'm so sorry. I'll say you uh, missed Oklahoma State, Arizona State. No, I mentioned it. Um, what oh, I forgot okay. to do. Yeah, then I missed it. Let's see. Go is ahead. check. Uh, I forgot. Uh, UCF will be playing Louisville. Who? <laughs> there's a weak one. Uh, and well, Cincinnati's got Kennesaw State. We'll set that one aside. All right. You cannot pick the school that you root for. So, Sam, you can't pick Houston, Texas Tech. Andy, you can't pick Kansas. I can't pick OSU, Arizona State. That's fine. What game in the Big 12 for Week 2, and we do include the four incoming schools, as we said in the intro, are you most excited for, most intrigued to see, have the biggest question you want answered from, whatever way you want to go with it? What's one game you are absolutely cannot miss this coming weekend? I'm going to go Baylor-BYU. That that's the one I've I've kind of had that circled all off season because to me, when I look at Baylor, and I saw what they brought back on the line of scrimmage up front on the offensive line and that entire two deep on the defensive line and Andy Jackson player, I picked them as my Big Twelve favorite. However, I have to acknowledge that when you lose some of the guys they've lost, two starting receivers, Jalen Petrie, Terrell Bernard, most of that back into the defense, there's going to be some growing pains and and. To me, this game, going on the road to Provo against a BYU team that you know wants this one badly after going to Waco and getting whooped last year. If they can go in there and win that game, then they, Baylor, to me, solidifies themselves as a big, legitimate Big 12 title contender again, that they're built to go do that. If they don't, maybe there's a few more growing pains in store for this team. 
as we go through the season. But but to me, this is a huge, huge litmus test game for, for Baylor. So I'm fascinated to see. It's a late kickoff, 9-15 Central on Saturday night. So we'll be up late for this one. Uh, and, if, and, of course, the Jeff Grimes storyline. Jeff Grimes, offense coordinator at Baylor, of course, was at BYU before. He took that job. So there's a lot of familiarity on the sidelines between these two staffs. Uh, so, so lots of interest, intrigue in this one. So I'm fascinated by that one. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to take that one. Cause, I mean, that, it's the obvious one. But, you know, Philip, we actually failed to talk about what BYU did this last week, right? They played a USF team, which is not going to be a very good team this year. But I think they're better than any of the FCS opponents that, that anyone else in the Big 12 or coming into the Big 12 played. Um, they were up 38 to nothing. Okay. Before USF even did anything and then took the, and then took their foot off the gas and still won by a ton. Um, this BYU team, I think a lot of people are sleeping on. I think they're a lot better than a lot, than most people actually think that they are. And so whoever wins that game is going to get a huge feather in their cap. If it's BYU getting that big win against Baylor and vaulting themselves way up in terms of the way people are perceiving them. Um, or Baylor goes on the road in a really tough environment. I, again, I don't think BYU is getting the credit it deserves, but instead of just picking the exact same one again, the other one I'm really interested in, um, look, Iowa State, and Iowa, it gets called El Asico for a reason because it, I think it's going to be a super ugly, you know, <laughs> a really, really ugly game. The one I'm actually really interested in is Missouri and Kansas State. And not just because they are both, you know, rivals of the Jayhawks, but mainly because, like, this is a Missouri team. There's a lot of Missouri fans. And being in the Kansas City area, I get to hear from a lot of them all the time who are really excited about their team this year. Um, I, Kansas State is one of those teams that I am wondering, like, what they're going to be. This year, and so they need, I think, to have a big win here to build that momentum. Um, I mean, if you win, you win. That's that's great. But it being at home, the expectations that this Kansas State team has on them, they need to have a strong performance in this one. So um, I will be interested to see how much they can win this one by. I do think that they're going to go ahead and win it. Um, I mean, they're they're favored by eight and a half as of right now when we're recording this. So uh, you know, this is one that they should win. They should win fairly handily, I think. But I think it's the one that we can either have the most new questions come up about them if they don't take care of business, or we can get a lot of questions about this team answered in this particular game. Yeah, I mean, look, Andy, to your point, uh, Missouri knocked off Louisiana Tech in week one, 52 to 24, which is better than I expected from them. I still don't have high expectations for Missouri this year. I would I'll probably pick Kansas. I'm going to pick Kansas State to win that game. We'll see about the spread on Thursday. Uh, yeah, Sam. I mean, BYU-Baylor is our game of the week this week in the Big 12 as far as I'm concerned. I know game days can be at Texas, Alabama. That is a name game, and that is it. Um, sorry, it's a 20-point spread now on Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't like I said, I kind of said it earlier, I don't think it's going to be that close. But I am, I am intrigued by it because I am intrigued to see what does Texas look like. How, how do they handle it? How do they handle what – the bus all that's coming to them. And, and I think we'll learn something from that. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's I don't think that's going to be free. We know how that one. Is. Alabama. Right. Is like bigger... the real question is, is it going to be Texas losing to Arkansas bad? Or is it going to be like, what are, are they even playing? <laughs> like, like is, is Texas even showing up on the field? Like that's, yeah. No, I, I was honestly though, you can make an argument that there's only really two Big 12 games this week, you know, because Houston and Texas Tech are playing each other, future members of the Big 12, and then Kansas-West Virginia, and we somehow did not pick a single Big 12 against Big 12 game. Well, Baylor and BYU. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. Sorry. Third one. Wow. What am I doing? Come on, man. 
I you lose. Gotta, you got to get to this. Get this. Uh, by the way, Alabama is over Texas is a bigger spread than West Virginia, Kansas. In case everybody. Wow. Alabama wow. is a 20 point favorite over Texas. West Virginia is a 13 point favorite over Kansas. It is a touchdown difference in the spread. That is a lot of respect for Kansas. That is probably due after they trounced Tennessee Tech. Um, I will say this: Houston, Texas Tech is really interesting. Um, especially after how Houston looked week one against UTSA, I had much higher expectations for them in that game. Now we know that Tyler Shuck is out. The Donovan Smith train is leaving the station for Texas Tech. That changes things a little bit. Um, I'm super excited about Texas Tech NC State after NC State's performance because they should have lost to East Carolina if East Carolina could make a kick, period. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> East Carolina. Uh, I'm really intrigued by Texas Tech because, look, haven't had super high expectations for year one. In large part of that was because of the way their schedule started the first six weeks of the season with how Houston looked in week one and how NC State looked in week one. And again, we don't want to overeat in week one. If you're Texas Tech, it may not be as daunting as we thought heading into the season. You could be setting yourself up for a much better year than we thought. So I will definitely be keeping an eye on Texas Tech Houston. I'm I was already excited for that one, but I'm I'm even more so now. Also not wanting to echo what everybody else said because I don't want to say the same games. But yeah, Baylor BYU, it's the game of the week. I'm sorry. It's the, it is the Big 12 game of the week. I am super interested in that. Yes, it's a 9:15 God's time kickoff. Just get used to it, folks. This is We're going to get one pretty much every other week with BYU in the conference now. It's just going to be part of it. you got to have that late-night window. It's valuable. Okay, It's like ESPN+. Plus. You don't have to like it, but there's value to it, and we want money. So just suck it up. Get your subscription. Watch your FCS game on it and all the other women's and men's Olympic sports that are going to be on it. And you know what? I love it because I want to watch all the Oklahoma State women's softball games. And soccer game. Soccer going on right now. Uh, it's Sunday. I have not checked the scoreboard to see how everybody's doing. I was going to do that. But again, small child. Wife not thrilled that I'm host doing a podcast on Sunday night of Labor Day weekend. That's not a shot at her. She's amazing because I'm still doing it. Sitting here in a closet sweating profusely. Uh, just like I was back in high school uh, with a test tomorrow morning. So this feels like a good exit point for us. Uh, Sam. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You have been even better than I could have expected, which is, you know, pretty high because I listen to you on the podcast with Max Olson. I read your work. You are the expert. That is not a nickname that is given out by people lightly. Uh, do me a favor. Plug it all. Everywhere everyone can find anything and all the things that you do, whether it's sports coverage, cooking show, I don't care. Hit it. <laughs> I wish I had a cooking show, but I love to cook. <laughs> I, uh... Uh, theathletic.com, go to our college football page. We've got a fantastic college football team, privileged to be a part of it. we got so many superb writers, and, and you'll find all our work there. And then our main podcast feed, the flagship podcast feed, is the Andy Faithful Show and Friends uh, feed. we got eight shows there a week during the season. Andy and Ari Wasserman, of course, host a few of them. Nicole Auerbach hosts Power Hour. Me and Max Olson have our own pod in the middle of the week. Uh, we have an SEC podcast. We have everything you want is in there. Uh, obviously, Max and I do have a large Big 12 flavor in our podcast because we cover that ground quite a bit. So uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Really enjoyed it. Big fan of you guys as well. And uh, keep up the great work. Appreciate it. Have you guys come up with a new name for your show yet? No, we're working on that. We're working on that. Right now, we're just kind of rolling nameless. We're, we're trying to we're trying not to force it and see if we can get it to come up organically. I have some ideas, though. We're we're not going to use fourteen twelve, so that's a no. That's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, 
Andy, <laughs> of course, the host of the Rock Shock podcast, part of the 1012 Network. Do not forget to listen to every show on the 1012 Network at 1012network.com. But that's not the only thing Andy does cover in Kansas. Andy, plug away. Yeah, so you can follow me personally at AndyMets12 on Twitter. Uh, obviously, the podcast is at Rock Chalk Pod. Uh, I also write, or I'm the publisher over at Blue Wings Rising, the SI Fan Nation site that covers the Jayhawks. Um, and you can find that at or at Blue Wings Rise on Twitter, and then at or it's www.bluewingsrising.com. Of course, like I said, Tinto Podcast flagship show of the Ten Twelve Network. We are. I don't remember how many shows now. We got a lot of shows. The only shows we don't have are TCU, BYU, and Cincinnati. I'm working on it. I promise. Working diligently. Right. So uh, we, we technically have 13 shows, but one of them is still looking for a new co or a new host. So. So if you're a Big 12 basketball fan and want to take over the Midwest Madness, um, our Twitter DMs are open at 1012 Network. Our Instagram DMs are open at 1012 Pod. Our Gmail is up and running, 1012 Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can visit 1012network.com, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network, and find every show in the network. Go check it out. Every show in this network is fantastic. I know I'm supposed to say that, but I worked very hard to line up the best I could get, and I feel like I did pretty good. We will be back on Thursday to make picks with Daniel and Chris and for me to enjoy my week one victory. Just keeping it going from last season, what can I say? I'm going to brag here and not on Thursday because that would not be very nice. Sports Social Podcast Network.